You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Good morning, church. So many smiling faces. So glad you're here. My name is Simon. I'm one of the pastors. If you are new, welcome. If you're visiting, welcome to California. The weather's probably better from where you came from. So you're welcome for that. Um, we have been in the book of James. We're, all, we're about halfway into the book of James now. It's been walking through that. Hopefully that's been impactful. I've been talking to so many different individuals that they have had very robust life group conversations. And that's where we want that to take place, where you would talk about the things of God and what's going on. Um, here's the thing. Words have power, right? I got the answer I was looking for. That's fantastic. <laughs> I remember when I was growing up that someone had said something unkind to me and I went to go tell a parental type person so they would deal with the issue and then they said this cute little phrase that I'm like, what? I don't even need to preach today. Like you guys, sticks and stones may break your bones but names can never hurt you. And I thought, wow, what a big lie you just told me. That is, the, that is the worst thing. It's just like, well, suck it up and just don't have emotions and it'll be okay. And I'm like, that's not cool. That's not cool at all. As a matter of fact, we know that that is just the worst saying in the world. Why? Because we have so many therapists that are so busy right now. They have an overload of people that are going to them. And it's always based on, well, this person said this about me and hurt my feelings here. And let's, let's like, to get real, like, We all have comments from someone that has hurt so bad that we can still replay the entire moment in our head. That's that's the reality of it. But you think about that and go, well, why? Words shouldn't actually matter. What are words? It is air traveling across your vocal cords that makes some kind of sound that we've given the ability to say, this means this when it's said this way. It, 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 it's just air is all it really is. But yet there's something deeper behind what words are. See, words, because they've been given a collective meaning that we can understand, those words have meaning and they reflect intent and feelings from the person who's speaking. And that it then, if it's talking about someone... You are telling someone how you feel about them, how you see them, the worth and the value that they possess based on what you say. See, it's, it's more than just information. You're communicating who you are as an individual on any given subject. So those words start to have a lot of meaning. If this wasn't true, why are we seeing so many states and regions that are now making laws about cyberbullying, what you can post online and how you can talk to minors? Well, because we've seen the things that can happen. The suicide rates that are attached to the words that are said to peers that are younger. The things that are being done that they are acting out in violence to then lash out at those that have said things because they feel that they are helpless and no one is defending them. All of those things are connected to words and what we do. See, because words have power, we need to understand where do words even come from? Where is the, the root of the words that we have? Like our very existence and everything that we see is based upon words being spoken. You're like, well, what does that mean? Genesis chapter one. 
There are these phrases that come up over and over again in Genesis chapter 1 that we need to understand. The first one is that it says, God said. That phrase comes up nine times in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Then the phrase says, God called, comes up three times. And then it would say that God blessed two times. So if my math works, in Genesis chapter 1, 14 times we see that God is communicating speech and what he is saying and how he creates and what he makes and what he calls good, what he calls bad. All those things are coming from God just in that one chapter. See, the fact is that we worship a speaking God. We worship a God that communicates to us, that wants to let us know who he is, what he thinks, what he values, how he interacts with us. We know that, right? We've got an entire book of God communicating his truth to us so that we could know who he is. As a matter of fact, we were so lost and so broken because of sin. He sends his son and he calls his son what? The word of God to walk amongst us. That he would tell us with his actual breath who he is and what he's done and the salvation that can only come through him for those that have placed their faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. See, James is going to have a lot to say about words and where they come from. Now, here's the danger of a passage that we're moving into today. The danger is this, is that we get really, really focused on the words themselves and that the words become the most important thing that we're talking about. But what we need to understand, what James is moving towards us is where is the birthplace of those words? Why are those words even coming out of your mouth? What is the wellspring of that area? We have to understand the heart of the issue if we're able to even attack the thing that we're actually doing, the thing that we're actually saying. See, this is not necessarily about behavior modification. It's about heart worship. And that's what we need to understand when James is pressing on this. Yes, it matters what you do. Yes, it matters what you say. But what's more important is why do you do what you do? And Jesus is always after our heart all the time. And that's what I want to look at. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible or you're visiting, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can grab one of those. If you don't even own a Bible, please grab it, take it, take it home and use it. Here we go. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged more great with great strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put the bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are very large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things." How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the fire on fire, the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile or sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless our Father, our, our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does not a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray and get into this section. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage. I thank you how you have just been working on my heart all week, how you have brought up so many things from my life that pertain to where we are today. Lord, I ask that we move into this section that you would be softening the hearts of the men and the women that are here, that they would hear the truth of your word and who you are and what you've done for them. Lord, if there's anything that's not from you, I ask that you would take it from my notes, my mind, my mouth. I don't want to be a stumbling block in any way, but I don't want to be afraid to say the hard truth of what you have to say this morning. Lord, open our eyes and our ears to hear you. We humbly submit to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, James is not going to miss a beat from where we left off last week. Uh, We hit on faith and works last week. If you didn't hear that, I would encourage you to go listen to that. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. You can go and find those and listen to all those if you want to kind of catch up with where we are. But he's not going to move away from that. What he's going to do is going to press into it. Now he's going to kind of go to where the words are. Before he was talking about words without action, now he's going to be talking about words and what we say and the action of the words that we have. So he's kind of like playing with that a little bit. And he wants to show what we say and how we communicate is really, really important. Now, as a preacher, as a teacher, this first verse is terrifying, okay? I almost stopped reading. I'm like, oh, let's just pray and call it a day and be done with this. It's, it's crazy, like, I stand up here, and we have these, this large group of people, and I get the privilege to communicate God's word. But it also says, hey, and with that, you're going to be judged more strictly. So you better really know what you're talking about, and it really better represent me. And so you may wonder, like, he must just come up here and open the Bible, and he's so holy, he just starts talking, and all these, no. No, I, I, I study a lot all week. And not only do I study a lot, I pray over the sermon more than I study, so I really won't mess this up because I know that someday I will have to give an account for every word that I say, and I don't want to misrepresent. And that's why I say, like, not many of you should do this because here, here's the thing. The bigger the platform, the bigger the, bigger the potential of danger. That's the reality of saying. And all these individuals are like, I want to preach and I want to teach and I want to tell people. He's like, you don't even understand. Like, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous situation. And maybe you're thinking, well, whew, I'm not teaching and I'm not preaching. So I am completely off the hook. And you're just going to talk to like the four people in here who do that. Right, Simon? Well, let me just read you a verse and we can just let that do what it's got to do. I mean, why should I talk when, when Jesus is it way better for me? In Matthew 12... In 36, it says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be judged, and by your words, you will be condemned. Hey, guess what? No one's off the hook. That's everyone. So, and you're like, but I can't speak. You can write. So we're just going to talk about communication in general. So this pertains to every single person in this room. And James wants to paint a picture, and he wants to talk about how the words and the tongue function. And he's going to use 
six different analogies to paint that. And I'm like, gosh, he just, James is so dense and compact. He has so much, and each one could be its own sermon, but we're not going to do that. Did I do enough? Did I do six? Yeah, I did six. Someone like made fun of my hand signs, so I'm like, maybe I did five. So my first point is this, horses and ships and the control of the tongue. Horses and ships are just big. Um, I don't know if you have extensive experience riding horses. Uh, I've ridden horses a number of times, and they are just a terrifying creature. They are all muscle. They are massive. You have to climb to get on top of them, and you think that you're like this frail person controlling it. And the times I've been, some have been great. You get the old nag that doesn't, I just want to just go down the trail. I don't want to do anything. But then you get the ones that are like, hey, I'm young and I want to just do whatever I want to do. And they bite and they nip and they buck and they try to do that. I've watched a horse with my wife roll down a hill with a girl on top. And I'm like, nope, done. I'm done here. Not going to do that. Why? Because in comparison to that animal, I am so small. I'm so fragile, but yet you put a bit in the mouth of that horse, and with a gentle tug here and a gentle tug there, you can make that animal go wherever you want. He's saying, and ships are very much like that as well, that as ships sail, they're massive. Have you been on a, anyone been on a cruise? Yeah, it's fun. You're just hoping that you don't sink. And so you're out in the middle of the water, and you're on this city that's floating in the middle of the ocean. And I remember we went, and it's like, it's 10 stories, and it's got all these dance floors, and it's got multiple pools and hot tubs. And one week, like, they have, like, race car tracks on some of them now. I'm like, what is going on? Like, what are we doing? But if you look at the size of that ship, and you look at the percentage of, of its mass, less than 1% of the boat is the rudder. And yet, as the strong winds push against that and the sea moves, that, that captain can pilot that ship wherever he wants just by moving his hand around. It's crazy. Likewise, the tongue is small in comparison to the rest of the body. Yet it makes these great boasts and says huge things that have impact on the direction and the outcome of our life and what we do. See, James is trying to tell these men and women that your speech has great impact. The words that you say to each other is actually really important. It matters what you say. Maybe you've never heard that before. It matters what you say. You're like, well, Twitter, it matters what you write. It matters what you post. It matters what you respond. You need to know that that actually matters. Do not think lightly of your words. Your tongue and your words have great control over your life. And as he's talking to these men and women at this church that are spread out all over this early, early church, there is community that's taking place. And what's happened is the way that they're using their words is actually destroying the unity that Jesus purchased on the cross for them. And he's watching these people say these hurtful things that are going to tear apart the very thing that we've been given. Now, I've never been careless with my words, but I've heard other people are at times. And within my first couple of months of being here, I remember I was preaching something and I said something and it was actually directed to an individual and I didn't think a lot of it. But what I found out is those words had huge impact on that person's life. That it hurt them in a way that I didn't realize. That I just said it and forgot about it, but they spent the next nine months toiling over that. That hurts to know that, that that's what I did. And I'll, I'll, I'll land the plane here by the end so we understand what happens there. But 
we don't ever realize half the time the things that we're saying to other people that has a great effect on their heart, on their soul, and the unity that God's given us. See, we have unity with God through Jesus, so we have this vertical relationship, right? But within that, he's created a horizontal relationship that we exist in with each other that reflects the vertical. My second point is sparks and fire and the danger of words. That's kind of where James wants to go, talking about this idea of unity and destroying unity in the body and the church, that there is a danger connected with the words that we have. The Bible speaks extensively about how we should speak and the ample warning that's given to those and how they communicate. We already talked about that as we read through James 1.19. It was our uh, quick, slow, slow sermon. Again, go, I'm going to shamelessly plug that. Go listen to that if you want to know more about it. This idea that we are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt talk come from your mouths. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. I could learn from that one. 21.23, if you keep your tongue, you keep out of trouble. Psalm 34, 13, keep your tongue from evil. Jeremiah 9, 8, the tongue is a deadly arrow. This is nothing new. As a matter of fact, James grew up in this world. He grew up with these passages, and so he would know this. This is nothing new to him, and he wants to keep pressing against it. He knows that there's danger that comes from our words. Like, the picture he's going to give us, as I think, is one that we really understand in California. We have two seasons in California. We have summer and fire season. Those are our two seasons. That's all we get. You're like, it's winter. I'm like, I'm a little warm right now. It's really nice. But we, we understand that, that as the rain slows down, as the rain stops, everything dries out. And it can be anything from a, a lightning strike to a, a transformer that blows up to a campfire that wasn't put out of the way to a cigarette out of a car to a backfire in a two-stroke motorcycle. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But that's what happens. Things can happen. And it just takes one little bit to do that. We have made a spokesbear to communicate this idea. Only you can prevent forest fires, right? We understand this. But we also see that from a a small spark, it holds within it great devastation and destruction of thousands of acres to kill thousands of lives at the same time. I remember as a young boy, I really liked fire. You're like, you're a pyro. I was never diagnosed, so you can't say that, okay? <laughs> but I loved to watch things burn. I liked to see how they were consumed. It was just this weird thing. I mean, I think most, I don't know. I just like fire. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> okay, got through it. But the reality is this, is that I was like, I want to, I found a, a, a pack of matches. This is just like out of a TV, bad TV show. And so I found a pack of matches. I'm like, I'm going to go light some things on fire behind the house. And so I'm by this bush and I'm lighting little twigs. Oh, this is great. This is so much fun. And I kind of finished and I turned my back to do something. And the next thing you know, the entire bush that I was hiding behind was engulfed in flames. And I'm like, I'm Moses. It's God is talking to me. This is the moment. But it was consuming, so it wasn't actually that. So I'm not Moses. And so all of a sudden, the thing was out of control. The whole back of the, the house and the shrubs were on fire. And my mom comes out. And she has to put the thing out. And I just could not believe that this small little spark was going to literally destroy the home that we lived in. See, your words are like a young Simon, careless with matches. 
That's what he's saying. That's why the Bible speaks against gossip and slander, using your words to hurt each other and ruining the community that God has created. See, James is pushing against them. Keep the unity of the community. Show them what the church of Jesus looks like. Our unity with Jesus defines us. And our unity with each other gives evidence of our faith, of a transformed life that's been changed by the love of Jesus Christ and the love of the Father. Like, our tongue, if it were talking about a massive ship being steered, it has the ability to navigate very difficult and hard waters, and it also has the ability to run it into the ground. Our words can leave stains everywhere we go. Have you ever looked back to see what kind of stains you've been leaving all through your life to the people that you've engaged with? The hurt and the trouble, the trauma, the frustration, the doubt. See, we, we, we always look forward, don't we? And sometimes we forget like, wait, what am I doing to those and the devastation that's there? And I ask the question, are your words destructive? Are you careless with your words? Like, I say this, and I always say I'm always preaching to myself. I am literally preaching to myself. I have a fast mouth. It gets me in all sorts of trouble. So I'm just, I'm talking to myself, and you get to watch the ride. And if it's you, enjoy the ride, because now I'm talking to you too. We're all dealing with this, right? We can do this. See, here's the problem. Because of our old hearts, if you're a Christian, you have an old heart. It's always trying to get back on the throne of your life. It wants to be back on that throne. It wants to be in control. It wants to make its own decisions all the time. Like, that's, that's the problem with who we are. And this, like, we've been saved. We have a new life if we're Christians. But yet there's this tension that's always existing. It's the tension that James has been pressing into, hasn't he? This idea... Are you trusting and believing God every day with the choices in your life? He just happens to be focused on, are you being godly with your words every day and how you speak and communicate? See, he's talking about pride all the time and the boastfulness that comes from that. What's he saying? Pride says, look at me, look what I've done, look at how great I am. The gospel is the exact opposite of that, isn't it? It's saying, I have to take a seat of humility admitting that I can't and I don't have the ability to save myself, that I'm not as great as I think that I am, but Jesus is. That's really what it's saying here. And so we have to be taking seats of humility in light of the gospel. If we could do it, then that makes God a bad God who would go and have his son murdered on the cross for us. It'd be a waste of time. But we can't. The third point is taming the beast of this world, the untamable tongue. Now, throughout history, we've seen men and women train and tame some of the craziest animals that you've ever seen. Um, it, and, and it's always like the more dangerous, the more impressive it is that they're taming this animal. There's a show that I like that's not in, in circulation anymore. It's called When Animals Attack. Just a great show about the reality of humans and what we can and can't do. And it's like, there's always this surprise in the show. And so if you want to know what the show's about, just listen to the name I just said, and that's what happens in the show. 
Someone who has tamed a bear or a lion or a tiger or an elephant. And then in that moment, that animal has a moment of clarity. An epiphany, if you will. You're not bigger than me. I'm much stronger than you. And then they exercise that newfound freedom on that individual. And they're always like, I can't believe this happened. You just slapped a lion in the face. Yeah, that's going to happen. But yet we see with enough time and treats, all these animals can be tamed. It's crazy. But James tells us that of all the beasts in the world, the tongue cannot be tamed. He says, it is a restless evil, waiting to go rogue, wanting to proclaim the meaning and intentions of the person that it lives in. That's what it wants to do. It is full of poison. If you ever, like, looked at poisonous animals, you know what I've come to find for the most part? Most poisonous animals are really, really small. Ever think about that? I mean, snakes, snakes can be big, but most of the poisonous ones are kind of small. Frogs, spiders, scorpions, like frogs poisonous frogs, they're little guys. But all these animals, they're, they're, they're small, but they pack a deadly punch. And that's the idea that James is trying to get across. Your tongue can be poisonous. It can pour out venom and destroy lives. It can be deadly. And to, and to further kind of prove his point, he's going to tell him that you praise God with your mouths. And then you curse other men and women that are made in his image. So you come to church, you're like, praise Jesus, you're amazing, oh, I love you. And then the idea of curse, the word being broken down there is really saying that you would hope or want harm to happen to another individual. You're like, I would never do that. When you drive home on the freeway, think about the words that you say as you drive home. You're like, ugh. I would, well, maybe I would. <laughs> He's trying to paint this, this problem. And he says this phrase in James. So the next, the next uh, section is the root of the problem. The heart is the gateway of the tongue. He says this in verse 10. From the same mouth comes uh, blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. He's talking to believers. This should not be so among you. This can't be how we communicate to each other. It's the same reason why if you're in a family and your parents are on you, like, don't talk to your brother or your sister that way. We're family. We're connected. We're united. You can't talk that way to each other. We need to show love to each other. We're already in a world that wants to beat you up. Why can't we have a safe place where we can do that in the confines of our home? That's what James is saying to these believers. You're family. The blood you're connected by is the blood of Christ, stronger than the blood of family. That's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters. That's why we do that. I use this analogy all the time. I didn't make it up. I'm not that creative. But the root and the fruit are really important to understanding what we're talking about right now. Um, the analogy that I'll work with all the time is this. is like our lives are represented by a tree and we have a root system, and we have fruit that grows from that. So let's just, for the sake of vanilla, we'll just say we're an apple tree, okay? We're an apple tree, and our life produces apples. Uh, our life is the tree. The things that we do is the fruit that's produced. Now, let's say that that apple tree, I'm like, ah, we shouldn't have apples on that tree. It should stop being an apple tree. I'm going to fix the problem, and I just pull all the apples off the tree. 
I'm like, ha, not an apple tree anymore. Well, what happens next season? Apples are going to come back. How is the only way to get that tree to stop making apples? You've got to kill the root. You've got to kill the root to stop it from being an apple tree. You're like, well, that means something's got to die. Yeah, something does got to die. As we're talking about our lives, our old lives have to die. Our old lives have to be laid down and murdered because it's a thing that was killing us in the first place. We need a new DNA. We need a new tree. We need new roots that produce new fruit in our life. Jesus speaks about this over and over again. In Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. See, Jesus knows that we have a heart problem. He knows that we have a tree problem. He knows that we have a root problem. Like, he understands that. This is why he came to give us that new heart because our old one was broken. We were unable to produce any righteousness in our own life. No one is righteous. No, not one. We can't do that thing. We're too messed up because of sin. It's a part of our very DNA. In Luke 6, if I can find my spot here, Luke 6, 43, he starts talking about this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks." Here's the point. We can't do this. You're like, well, I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great person. I'm a, no, you're not. We're not. I'm like, I don't feel loved in that statement. Sometimes truth can sting at first, but it's because of what Jesus has done that truth is actually good news and loving. Until you realize that you can't, and that's what Jesus is saying, that you don't, you can't do that. Every time you speak, you keep showing who you really are. You keep doing that until we can get to a point where we can admit that it's impossible for us to tame the tongue in our own ability, in our own works, in our own outcome. We will strive tirelessly to try to be a moral person, to be a good person, to be a nice guy, a, a good girl. And we know According to the gospel, that is impossible. And with that said, I propose that we take a vow of silence for the rest of our lives so we will never get in trouble with our words again. I wouldn't last. Here's the thing. Let's say you could do that in your own ability. You could just not talk. Would that really solve the problem? Of course not. Because your heart is still speaking to you and you still have those evil thoughts, those evil ways that you would want to communicate. So there's still an actual problem in your life that needs to be dealt with. It, it, this, you're like, this is not, I, I am not encouraged. Like you're just telling me, can't tame the tongue, there's nothing you can do, so we're in trouble. So like, I'm a little depressed actually right now. What do we do with this? I wanna share a story. 
that Jesus gives us. Uh, in Luke 18, we have the interaction with the rich young ruler, okay? Jesus has this guy, he's like, you know, what must I do to inherit life? He's like, do this, this, and this, this. He's like, I've done all those, boom, nailed it. And he's really rich, he's really wealthy, everything's going great. He's like, hey, one thing you're missing, just sell everything you got and come follow me. He's like, what? Because he was really rich. And he walks away. And there's this moment where, like, Jesus is interacting with those that are still around, and he's interacting with his disciples. And he has this conversation, and that's where we pick up in that spot. And he makes this comment about being rich. He talks about this idea of, you know, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Isn't that a great question? Like, if this guy's got doing everything you're supposed to do, he's following the law, he's doing well in the world, and he can't do it, then who can? Who can be saved? Who can, who can go and be with God and worship him? And he says this great statement. What is impossible with man is possible with God. He's, he's like, yeah, you're right, it is impossible. <laughs> If left to your own abilities and your own works, it is absolutely impossible to do the very thing that we're talking about, the very thing that James is talking about. All of that is impossible in man by himself. But he says that it's not if it's through somebody else. Now, here's the best part. Just a couple of verses later, Jesus then says this. So in the context of what he just talked about with the rich young ruler, he says this in verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The same was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Do you see what he's saying? Your works, your abilities will not save you. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ that you'll be saved. He lays out the gospel. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the cross for you. I'm going to, as you die, I'm going to be able to give you new life. I'm going to give you righteousness because you can't do this. You cannot earn favor with God. Salvation only comes through Jesus. He gives us his helper the Holy Spirit to fill us, to indwell us. See, he didn't just say like, hey, I took care of the salvation problem. Good luck. I hope it works out. Don't kill anybody while I'm gone. No. He did not leave us to our own ability. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He said, you can't do it. I'm giving you myself and the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, to convict you of sins, to open your eyes and your ears to the truth, to give you the words to pray when you don't know what to pray, to show you where you are lacking in the word that we've been using over and over again, this teleos, completeness, wholeness, the way that we've been designed to be. I've given you him so you can live the life you couldn't live. See, he says it early on in this passage that we are going to stumble on this side of eternity, right? We're going to mess up. You're like, but I'm saved, but I keep sinning. You're going to stumble in many ways, at many times. But there is a man who didn't stumble. There is a man that met 
the perfect expectations of God in every single way. He was the perfect man, as he would be called. Jesus is that perfect man. He was perfectly obedient to the Father. Died on the cross perfectly because he said, it is finished. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He rose three days later. For those that are in him, have placed their hope, their life in him, they will be saved and be with the Father for eternity. We learn to grow in our faith in the Holy Spirit. See, we, we get to start producing the fruits of the Spirit because the Spirit indwells us. We can have self-control in this life. We now have the ability to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. He's going to go into more detail next week about what that looks like, and he's going to really start laying that out. I hope you come back and you can hear more about that. But we need to know that we can reflect Jesus in our lives. Like You just need to hear that you can through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our faith can reflect him in how we act and how we speak. We can act like Jesus. We can talk like Jesus. I I, want to ask the question, what what do your words say about your faith? If you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what do your words say about that? Like, are they? I want you to ask that question today. I want you to examine your heart. Look at your verbal, nonverbal, written, any way that you can communicate. Are you seeing teleos? Are you seeing wholeness? Are you seeing completeness? Are you seeing the fractures that James is talking about as he's writing these men and women? Where do you need to have control over your voice? Where do you need to have control over your heart? See, here's the thing. I shared that story early on and uh, about saying some things up front that I shouldn't have. When I found out about that, I had to wrestle with some stuff in my heart. Of course, the first thing we do is justify all of our actions because we're so amazing. And then as the Holy Spirit says, actually, you're a big moron, you're like, oh, I'm kind of a big moron. And so then I went and I met with that individual and I just said, I have sinned against you. I have no excuse for my actions. I was arrogant, I was proud, I was, I'm just kind of, I was kind of being a jerk and I'm sorry. You didn't deserve that. And he tells me how long he's been struggling with it and I'm just like, gosh, such a horrible person. But in that moment, you know what that did? It disarmed the enemy's ability to have anger in his heart. Because what I got to do in that small little moment was be an example of what Jesus did for us. And as he saw that, he said, my anger's gone at this point now. I can say that it's gone. Thank you for acknowledging that. Thank you for admitting that. And there was some unity that could come out of that. So that which was once fractured was going to be healed. I don't know. I'm debating what I want to do next, but I'm here we go. I don't know if there's disunity in this body right now. I don't know if you've said things to someone here and you've hurt someone's feelings, you've been loose with your words, you've been throwing cigarettes out of the window of life, setting things ablaze wherever you go. I don't know. 
Um, and we can use it. Well, I'm old and I, I've earned the right to say what I want. No, you haven't. No, you're just being mean and rude. Well, I'm young and I'm still learning. No, you're just, you're just being rude and you're being arrogant. You're both wrong. I say that from both sides. I'm in the middle. I can be both. It's like, I'm old, I'm young, I don't know. He's <laughs> like, you're not young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we have that ability, right? Like, we need to own our words. We need to take responsibility for our words. And I would say this. Um, we are going to play some songs in a couple minutes, about a minute and 30 seconds. And as you come up and then we start singing, I would say this. If you have said words that are hurtful, that are unkind, that are unloving to someone in this room, and they are here, I would ask you to be bold. I would ask you to be courageous. And I would ask you to walk over to them and just ask for their forgiveness. Show them Jesus in your actions. Don't be afraid. We don't have a spirit that is timid, do we? The bold spirit that lives inside of us. The enemy wants you to hold on to that anger, but the only way that we're going to extinguish the fires of our words is through the forgiveness and the living out of the gospel in our lives. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band to come on up right now. And I just want the Holy Spirit to kind of work in this moment. Where you are convicted, press into that conviction. Where you feel like you need to ask for forgiveness, I need you to ask for forgiveness. I don't care where you are and what you're doing in this room. If there's someone you can talk to, let's show what Jesus has done in our lives through these actions. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for just opening our eyes and our hearts to the things that you would want for us. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen in the moments that follow. Um, that stuff was not in my notes. But chances are you've prompted me to say that so some people could have some forgiveness. Some people can watch what happens when the gospel is applied to the lives of others as it melts away bitterness and wrath and anger and hurt and pain. Lord, I ask that those things would happen and there would be freedom that people would know what it looks like to live in the community of believers. And Jesus, for those that are here that may not know you, that may not have submitted to you, I ask that today would be a day where the first time they would lay down their pride of their ability to do good works and speak good works in their own, that they would just take a reality pill and realize that they aren't and that they can't. And that until we take a position of humility and realize that we need you, Jesus, we are doomed for forever. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.